It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody, and welcome to Locked On Vikings. I am your host, I am your pal, and I am the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can follow me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can follow the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. And we have a very special show for you. We're going to do a little bit more of that football philosophy slash economics, real deep in the weeds stuff. But we do have a little bit of news to talk about and some interesting discussions that happen that are a little bit more directly related to the Vikings. So we will talk about that as well. But first, a little bit of housekeeping. We are available on pretty much any smart device. All you have to do is ask it to play podcast Locked on Vikings. That's play podcast Locked on Vikings. You ask it that, it'll play the most recent episode. It is awesome. This works with smart speakers, smart car stuff, really anything that has access to podcasts at all. We are there and that rules. There is also a pain bracket that's going to wrap up this week. Yeah, we're already at the end of it. Uh, We are today voting between the 1998 NFC Championship game, the old Gary Anderson thing, and the 1975 Divisional where Drew Pearson pushed off. So the kind of original controversial playoff loss versus the kind of the biggest one, the number one seed. Uh, If there is ever going to be an upset pulled off, maybe Drew Pearson is the the thing that has the, the power to pull it off. So go vote in that. And otherwise... Things in Viking land have been pretty quiet. There's not a lot of news going on. Nobody's getting arrested. Really, most of the news that can come out this time of year about your players is like very often either contract stuff or bad news. Uh, And if you look over at the Pittsburgh Steelers, which we've ended up talking about a lot on this podcast, weirdly, just because they're so crazy and fun, uh, Antonio Brown is still kind of melting down on social media and really making it known that he is not happy in Pittsburgh. So if you haven't been following the story, essentially uh, Antonio Brown is on a pretty lucrative contract, but seems pretty unhappy in Pittsburgh. He's been tweeting a lot about how unhappy he is with the organization and and the leadership, and he's criticized Ben Roethlisberger a lot, and he seems like he really wants out of Pittsburgh. He's under contract there for three more years, but they could try to cut him with some pretty bad dead cap. We talked about this, I think, a couple shows ago about how, like, it's really hard for the Pittsburgh Steelers to get rid of him and, like, not take a huge hit, but they could trade him, try to get something back, and, and, you know, we could be in a situation where Antonio Brown ends up on a different NFL team, and weirdly, he's kind of been flirting with Minnesota. He showed up to a Timberwolves game, And he's now been tweeting back and forth with Xavier Rhodes, which if you don't know, he and Rhodes go way back. They're friends from, they kind of grew up in the same area of Florida and they train every off season together. So like, that's not that weird. That's not like some sign. They're, they're very close friends, but it's still kind of like there's some connections. And unfortunately, the Vikings are in kind of a situation with the salary cap and with their roster where it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to pursue Antonio Brown. That said, it's unquestionable that like Antonio Brown would make the team way better, right? If you had to guard him, Diggs, and Thielen, I don't care who's that quarterback or what's up front, that is really hard to defend against. So on Saturday, he starts doing like, I guess it was a Twitter Q&A, but really he just is like speaking out against the organization. Here's a tweet. Somebody asked him about the conflict between him and Ben Roethlisberger, and he says, I quote, no conflict, just a matter of respect, mutual respect. He has an owner mentality, like he can call out anybody, including coaches. Players know, but they can't say anything about it. Otherwise, their meal ticket's gone. It's a dirty game within a game. Hashtag truth. That is a really scathing statement from a guy that has basically been working with this quarterback for his whole career. What's it been, like eight years? 
And we've watched them play together for so long. We've seen them get this chemistry where they can really make like changes to the play call in the middle of a play without talking to each other just because they both read defenses the same. They're just on the same page like that. And that's that just this magic you get when you get these duos that are in the league for so long that they can just kind of like do that. And it's something that's really, really hard to replace. So if he does leave Pittsburgh, it'll be really hard for the Steelers to replace him. As good as Juju Smith-Schuster is, you know, that that chemistry and that experience with Ben Roethlisberger. And also, you know, the quarterback is probably going to change there in the next few years because Ben Roethlisberger is getting up there in years. It's going to be kind of a hard thing to replicate. So, like I said, it's kind of, like, not very likely that Antonio Brown ends up in purple. But it would be awesome, right? It'd be really fun. And this kind of sparked a debate. I think it started with uh, Matt Collar. He's a writer for ESPN. You should follow him. He's great. And he was kind of starting to get into a, a discussion with his followers about Antonio Brown. And, oh, my God, that'd be so cool. And people started responding, like, oh, that'd be great. But we need an O-line first, right? We need the offensive line. And I don't think it's really a question, that offensive line, and particularly, like, guard and, and getting better tackle play and stuff. Huge priority for the Vikings, right? Really important stuff. We've done a ton of shows on it. But Antonio Brown might be a little better than a guard can be. So he kind of started discussing and debating with his followers and with people on Twitter, like, hey, should we get Antonio Brown or should we get a guard? Like, what if we had to pick between the two? Which would do, which would be better? So I saw this and on Saturday morning, I put it to a poll, right? I just said, all right, Antonio Brown or a good left guard? Ignore cost or whatever. Just say which one makes the team better in the abstract. And it was like 50-50 for most of the day. I think by the end of the day, the poll had kind of pulled in favor of Antonio Brown. But it was 50-50, and I'm fascinated by that. So I do want to talk about that question on its merits and on what you know both sides of the issue because I think there's a lot of people on either side of this issue. So with Antonio Brown, I think the biggest argument against Antonio Brown is that we already have Diggs and Thielen, right? It's redundant. But consider this, the Vikings in 2018 at least used 11 personnel, and that's a fancy word for three wide receivers, 55% of the time. And they used 12 personnel about 24% of the time. So 80% of their plays were either three wide receivers or two wide receivers and two tight ends. So that means that you had like Tyler Conklin and David Morgan. I mean, I like David Morgan a lot on plays, but you had like Tyler Conklin in a lot or Laquan Treadwell in a lot. You had a lot of plays where there was a skill player that's probably not up to par in on the field. And I think replacing that with Antonio Brown, you'd probably use 11 personnel or three wide receivers all the time, right? You'd have those guys on the field every single play that you can until they get tired. And I think that would really reduce the need to use guys from the bottom of the barrel, the guys that barely made the team like Tyler Conklin or Chad Beebe, as fun as they are and as promising as they are as youngsters, they're depth. They are not starting caliber players. Neither is Laquan Treadwell. And, and replacing that with Antonio Brown would be really advantageous. So I, I don't think that you would see this like mitigated effect from there being other guys on the field. I think adding more weapons just makes the team harder to defend. And honestly, who cares how much production is going to which direction? The offense would be moving. But on the other hand, I think the worst position on the Vikings by a pretty significant margin was guard. And we've talked a ton on this podcast about guards and how to, how to do it. We just did a whole mock offseason where we rebuilt the entire offensive line from scratch and dedicated the whole offseason at any cost to fixing it. 
but there's kind of a ceiling to this. There's been a whole bunch of great work at Pro Football Focus about the the value of guards, and essentially the idea is that guards are double teaming de- teaming all the time, right? Like they if they screw up, the center is also in on that block helping them, or the tackle's also in on that block, and that makes it so that you don't need that player to be good on every play. And if they are good on every play, kind of didn't matter if they were in a double team, right? Because it would have been fine anyways. That's why you see a team like the Ravens who have had like Marshall Yonda for forever. But if you think about like the story of the Ravens every year, it's never really, oh, they had a great offensive line because their guard. It's always, oh, Flacco is good or he isn't or the, you know, the defense or now it's Lamar Jackson and that run game and stuff. And, and it really doesn't seem to come down to the guard very often. And that really bears out in the data as well. So a guard can help, and the Vikings have an opportunity to improve significantly at that position. But I think having, you know, like a possibly top five player period in the NFL, even though he's getting up there in years, that would be an incredible boon to the offense. And I think 57% of you agree with me at least. So all that is a fun hypothetical. Ultimately, no, Antonio Brown's probably not coming to the Vikings. That would be insane. I have no idea how that would work out with the cap and all that. But that would be really fun to think about. Uh, But let's think about money and and free agency and all that. Uh, We're going to step away to a quick ad break, and then I'm going to come back for the rest of the show with a different way of looking at it. So I hope you guys like it, and I'll see you in a minute. Hi, this is David Locke, the CEO of the Lockdown Podcast Network. In this crazy, unprecedented, and unnerving time, I know we're all living our lives a little differently. I thought we had some of our sponsors over the time that might be able to help you out. So we've reached out to them to get you specific offers. Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for their first seven days. Start your free deliveries, download the Postmates app, and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA. Anxiety, stress, need something to calm yourself down? The Calm app is available for you, 40% off to our listeners at calm.com slash locked on NBA. Stuck at home, want fitness? Echelon Fit has been a sponsor of ours, and you can go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-B-A. And if you're looking to add some new knowledge and get a little smarter in your free time, Masterclass, or at least your time at home, masterclass.com slash P-E-R is offering 15% off. If you missed any of those, go to lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. That's lockdownpodcast.com slash offers. Thank you very much for tuning in to Lockdown Podcast Network. We hope to be here for you to give you a relief and a respite from all the other news. And thanks very much. Be safe and practice your social distancing. Okay, we are back. So let's talk about free agency in the abstract. Like, let's talk about theory for a little bit and step away from the players and the the prospects and all the exciting stuff and who are going to cut and whatever. And let's just talk about free agency and just like how it works on a league level. And this can really help us kind of like inform how we look at Vikings free agency and how they approach things. So essentially, we're going to go deep into the weeds into economics here. This is going to be another one of those episodes. Uh, but free agency behaves a lot like an auction market. And if you think about an auction market, like the, the classic idea of an, like an art auction, right? Free agency is a lot like that. And I started thinking about this. I mean, I thought this for a long time and wanted to do an episode like this for a long time. But I really started thinking about it. I think it was Friday. I saw something on Twitter. There was somebody who basically said that the franchise tag was akin to slavery. And that's this like really weird take that has this like weird subtext to it. And that person got roasted plenty and I'm not going to link into the, in the show notes or anything, but it kind of got me thinking about the franchise tag and free agency and stuff. And and then somebody suggested, well, what if we, you know, just made it like a, a formal auction and that would be different. And all these ideas came up and it kind of reminded me of this thought that free agency is an auction market. 
like economically speaking. And there's a bunch of like really interesting similarities between free agency and and like economic or auction market. So think about an art auction and you know, you've got the sellers, people who come in and they bring the art and they want to make as much money as possible. Or even think about like eBay. I think maybe even that's a better metaphor. You put, you know, your your painting or your craft or whatever you put on eBay and then people come and they bid on it. And so what's your goal when you put something on eBay? You want to make as much money as possible, right? So you do the description and you make the pictures look nice and everything like that. You're trying to make the whatever it is sell for as much money as possible. And if you're buying something on eBay, well, you want to pay as little as possible, right? So you see a bid and you maybe go over that bid by one cent. And then they go over that bid by one cent. And then you go back and forth till somebody's out of the running, right? But you don't want to pay more than you have to. You ideally want to bid exactly as much as you can to get everybody else out of the market so that you get the item for the lowest price possible. And free agency works exactly the same way, right? If you think about the sellers as players, and instead of selling a painting or a craft or a whatever, they're selling their own skills and talents, and to a degree, you know, the agents or whatever, but just the players for simplicity. And then you think of the buyers as the teams. The teams are trying to pay as little as possible, right? So there's this competition between, you know, think about like Kirk Cousins, and there's this competition between the Vikings and Jets. And we'll actually come back to that example because I think that example really illustrates a lot of the interesting machinations of auction markets and how auction markets are not that simple. And that really bore out with the whole Kirk Cousins scenario between the Vikings and Jets. But basically, the Vikings and Jets were trying to pay as little as possible while still getting Kirk Cousins. So the Jets put up $30 million and they think that's going to price the Vikings out of the market. And they were kind of right, right? The Vikings were really only willing to go up to $28 million a year and fully guaranteed. But Kirk Cousins went with the Vikings for other reasons. We'll kind of circle back to that later. But you get this idea of these two teams competing for the talents of Kirk Cousins. And then Kirk Cousins basically trying to pick the deal that has the most value to him, essentially awarding the Vikings as the highest bidder because of some other factors that like made up for the $2 million a year discrepancy. But similarly, you can kind of look at Sheldon Richardson or like really any of the big time free agents that any team has landed. It all usually goes to the highest bidder, right? And therein lies the kind of defining factor of an auction market that the, the item for sale or, you know, the player's talents for sale in this case don't necessarily go to the team that values him correctly. They go to the team that values him highly. Think of a guy like John Carlson. Let's go way back into like the horrible contracts of, of Vikings lore. Go back to like John Carlson, tight end, right? He was a really murky evaluation because he was kind of coming off an injury. It was a little weird. He had like one good year and we didn't really know if he was a flash in the pan or if he'd come back healthy or whatever. And the Vikings were awarded John Carlson because they were willing to pay the most for him. And John Carlson, as players typically do, went, I'm going to go with whoever pays me the most. And it turns out the Vikings overvalued him a ton, right? He totally busted and he was turned out to like not be worth that money at all. So the Vikings weren't really correct. There might have been other teams competing for John Carlson's services that had a better evaluation, that were better at this, right? But those guys didn't win. The Vikings won the John Carlson sweepstakes. And everything kind of works out, right? Because if you overpay a player, then you kind of are punished for that later by not having that money to spend on other players. But if you think of each player as their own separate auction, the quote-unquote winner of that auction or the you know the team that gets the player is always going to be the one that values him the highest. I actually think this works in the draft too because if you think about it like think about like Josh Allen, right? The Bills were willing to trade up to get Josh Allen. Nobody else was willing to spend a draft pick 
higher than seven on Josh Allen. You know, the two teams that drafted quarterbacks drafted other guys and everybody else like the Broncos were not willing to spend the fifth overall pick on Josh Allen. They picked somebody else and neither were the Colts. They were not willing to spend the sixth overall pick on Josh Allen. The Bills were, so the Bills got him. And that may, may or may not have been correct. I, I guess we'll just wait a few years for that to all bear out so we can say for sure. But they valued him more highly than, say, Arizona or somebody else that maybe declined an opportunity to trade up for Josh Allen. So the Bills get him. It's the same thing as an art auction. You know, if there's a weird painting of a pig's behind and nobody else thinks it's worth a million dollars, but you do and you're willing to pay a million dollars for it, guess what? You get that thing for a million dollars. It all works pretty much the same way. And there's been a whole bunch of studies done into auction markets and the way that auction markets work. And there's a lot of other things in, in especially American commerce that are auction markets. It's a lot more useful to study, like, you know, the stock market and stuff. But there's a lot of work that's been done by economists looking at auction markets and kind of picking out the behaviors that happen over and over again. And they can be really useful to us as football fans because we can use those lessons and apply them to football and better predict what's about to happen. So I'm going to go over some of those interesting principles. First, I do have to step away for another ad break. But when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about like why it's actually helpful to look at free agency like an auction market and how it can kind of make us smarter and help us to really understand what's going on in the crazy chaotic days of like March 11th to March 15th, which is when the craziness of free agency will be happening. So I'll see you all in a minute. All right, we are back. So I'm taking a lot of the information for this from a paper uh, at Unibon, which I'll link it in the show notes. It's very dense, but I think it's really helpful for people like me who did not go to college for economics, right? I went to film school. So it's really helpful for kind of the layperson to understand like what it means to be an auction market and all that. It's really interesting stuff. If you want to really nerd out, go check it out. But otherwise, I'll, I'll pull out the stuff that's interesting and talk about it here. So one of the principles of auction markets, and this is really a, a facet of the way that both buyers and sellers are kind of deciding the price by negotiating with each other, uh, is that price valuation is kind of murky. Like, okay, how much is... Nick Foles actually worth, right? Nick Foles, he's going to be a, a free agent this year. How much is he worth? I don't know, 9 million, 10 million a year? Is he going to be a backup? Is he not? Are people Do people trust him? Do they not? Do we think that he's only good because Doug Peterson knows how to coach him? Or does your coach think that he can replicate what Doug Peterson did? There's a million variables, right? So we can't really put a number on it. We're like, compare it to something where you're going out to buy watermelons or you're going out to like buy cheese you know how much that costs. There's a label right underneath it. A watermelon is worth $2.99 and I'm going to, if I, if I have $2.99, I can get a watermelon. But with Nick Foles, you don't really know. And that kind of bears out a lot in free agency. I, th I think that was a, a huge factor in a lot of people's predictions with Sheldon Richardson. When it started to kind of come out that Sheldon Richardson and the Vikings had mutual interest, a lot of people came out and said, oh, wow, well, 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 there's no way we can afford him, right? We just spent a King's ransom on Kirk Cousins. There's no way that, you know, Sheldon Richardson is going to is gonna come to Minnesota. And then he does because it turns out he was willing to take less money than all of our math was telling us. And he was willing to do a one-year deal and stuff and, and like a bunch of incentives and all that. And it all worked out. And that's because the price of Sheldon Richardson 
kind of is murky and we don't really know and again we go into 2019 we don't know what Sheldon Richardson is going to get paid because there's a whole bunch of factors if if a team doesn't think that they can trust his personality I think the Vikings maybe do think they can trust his personality but another team that's interested in his skills might not think that and might be willing to pay less for that and that might affect the way the market goes so these murky price valuations and that's something for auctions as well. When you put something on eBay, you know, when you put your charm bracelet that you made with your mom on eBay, you don't know what it's going to sell for. You can't look at that and say, okay, that's going to sell for $60. I'll mark down $60. And now that's in my budget for the month or whatever. You have no idea how much money that's going to sell. Some crazy person might come on and and, and bid 200 bucks on it because they want it real bad. Or you might get two people saying, eh, 20 bucks, I have 21 bucks, 22 bucks, and you make 30 on it at the end of it. You have no idea until the deal is actually struck. And that uncertainty, I think, makes for very interesting coverage and it's all very fun to talk about, but it also can help us inform kind of like why things are so surprising sometimes or like why rosters get built the way they do because that uncertainty, you kind of have to plan for it. So auction markets also kind of breed competition. And we see this all the time with bidding wars, right? We saw this with the Kirk Cousins sweepstakes between the Jets and Vikings. We saw this between the Seahawks and Vikings with Tom Johnson and weirdly with Sheldon Richardson as well. And when we see it, we kind of see how that affects price, right? When two teams are bidding on a player, the bid is going to go up and up and up and up. And when there's a lot of players that one team is bidding on, say there's only like one team that needs guards. Say all the Vikings are the only team that needs guards and everybody else is happy with their guards and there's like four guards. Well, that's probably going to be very cheap because you're, you know, the Vikings as the buyer are going to go for the person that they can get for the best value, right? Assuming all these guards are the same quality, they're going to get the guy that they can get for the best deal. So whoever's willing to take the least money compared to how good they are is probably who is going to get awarded the job. So there's kind of a competition for, you know, on the other side as well with the players. Whoever's willing to take the deal is going to get the deal. And if you're a player, say you're a player and you're super cocky and you're like way too high on yourself and you're not willing to take the money. I kind of think this happened to Adrian Peterson a couple years ago. He thought that he was worth way more than anyone was willing to pay him, and he didn't get a job until he kind of came back to earth. And like, look at the Kansas City Chiefs that year, right? They didn't really sign anybody at the running back position, and they could have signed Adrian Peterson that whole time, but they waited till the draft. They drafted Kareem Hunt. They were pretty happy with him, you know, until the thing happened this year. Uh, But they were able to get Kareem Hunt, somebody they were happy with, for a fraction of the price that Adrian Peterson was asking for, and it didn't take until he was willing to take a kind of like backseat role with Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram in New Orleans that he was actually able to get back on the football field, and even that didn't work out. So there's a little bit of competition with buyers as well. Adrian Peterson, unbeknownst to him, was competing with what teams thought they could get in the draft. That kind of specter of, well, I think I could probably get a guy like Kareem Hunt or Alvin Kamara and I'm not going to pay you a bunch when I think I could get that. So there's that competition there as well. And you have complete conflicting competition, which essentially means that everybody who is going to actually strike deals are the ones who are going to meet in the middle, right? The, the middle of the highest bidder, but the lowest seller, those are the guys that actually put pen to paper. And usually in the NFL, most players who are worth their salt end up putting pen to paper because another thing with auction markets is that every thing, every asset, every piece of merchandise or whatever is not created equal. The bracelet that was made by, you know, Malala or some 
crazy celebrity that people are going to really want a thing from is probably going to be worth more than the one you made with your mom. And so that will affect the price of both of those things. Not that both of those things won't get bought unless there's only one buyer of bracelets in the world, which could happen sometimes in the NFL, right? But it's going to affect the price of those things. And we can actually look at those things and predict it. And that's essentially the exercise we're going through when we're looking at, okay, is this player good? If so, he's worth more. And if not, he's worth less. And when we're trying to determine the price of players based on how good they are, that's kind of the exercise we're going to. And I think we're just kind of preempting all that competition. So one thing with free agency that we really see is uh, with auction markets, revenue maximization is the word for, or is the term for kind of one of the best facets of auction markets. Essentially that when you're a seller and you're auctioning something off, you are going to get as much money as somebody in that room was willing to pay, right? You get 30 rich guys in a room and have them bid on a piece of art. You are going to get the best deal as the seller that you possibly could have because it naturally is set up to find the person who was willing to spend the most on it, right? And I think the same thing kind of happens in the NFL for players, right? If you are Aaron Donald or like who's a huge free agent, Anthony Barr, right? Or Sheldon Richardson, you are, the system is set up for Anthony Barr to find the, the team that is willing to spend the most on him. And that is technically supposed to benefit the players. The thing is, again, not all players are created equal and not everybody's Anthony Barr or Sheldon Richardson or, you know, whoever, right? And since teams are working with finite resources, they have a salary cap. They are going to put a whole bunch of that salary cap toward their quarterback and toward their, you know, their top 10 guys. And the guys at the bottom end up getting a whole bunch of veteran minimum contracts. So really this only helps the big timers, but it does have an effect on the way that teams are and rosters are constructed. And I think that has an effect on why injuries matter so much, right? Like if you think about just the whole population of America or even the world or whatever, you'd think that there'd be more than like 2000 people that are really, really good at football. But we still see that like when, when a team suffers a whole bunch of injuries, like the Chargers for all of those years, they suffer a lot. They suffer these huge drop-offs in quality. So the talent pool isn't as big as maybe we think. But a lot of that just has to do with the fact that like you are paying a whole bunch of money to your superstars and not as much money to your depth because you expect the superstars to play. But then the cheap depth that you got because you were paying a bunch to your superstars, when those guys have to play, you're going to feel it. And the last thing I'm going to talk about with this whole auction market thing, and then in the next episodes, we'll get way more into football. So if this was something you hated, I'm sorry. I hope you guys like this. But the last thing I'm going to talk about is what the paper calls informational externalities. And that's a bunch of really fancy jargon for if you know more about a player, you kind of can control the price of a player if you know the most about him. And that might be confusing, so let me give you an example. Say, so the Vikings know the most about Anthony Barr compared to all the other 31 teams, right? The Vikings definitely know him best. So let's say it leaks that Anthony Barr asked for $15 million a year. Be like big time edge rusher money, right? And the Vikings said no. And you know, sorry, we can't pay that. Go your, go our separate ways. Thanks for all the fish. Well, the Vikings kind of just set a ceiling, right? Because if the Vikings who know everything about Anthony Barr didn't think he was worth 15 million, what team is going to look at that situation and say, actually, we know better. And we think he is worth 15 million. You kind of just declared that Anthony Barr is not going to make 15 million. And we see this happen all the time. But as all things go with auction markets, it all cuts both ways. So take Sheldon Richardson, for example, or even Kirk Cousins. Let's actually look at that as the example. Kirk Cousins, who took less money to play with the Vikings, kind of breaks this whole system, right? The whole idea is that whoever's willing to get the most is awarded the player, but the player is still making the decision himself. It's not an automatic robotic system. 
And these kind of externalities are something that I think shake things up. The Vikings could offer something that the Jets could not offer in the 2017 or the 2018 offseason, and that is that the Vikings look like a contender. They had just gone 13-3 and with a quarterback that everybody had kind of written off as a career backup type. They had this great defense. They had all these awesome weapons. It was a dream destination for a quarterback. You know, Minnesota's a great place to live, and I know that that factored in for, for Kirk Cousins, who just had a kid. And meanwhile, the Jets were like 6-10. and 10. They didn't really know what the coaching situation was going to be. They didn't really know what was on their roster. They didn't have, like, this whole star-studded thing the Vikings had. And to Kirk Cousins that was worth, call it like a proxy for a $2 million bump. So if the Jets wanted Kirk Cousins, they would have had to beat the Vikings by more than $2 million a year. They didn't do that. The Vikings came up to within $2 million of the Jets, and Kirk Cousins went with the Vikings. And this kind of thing happens all the time. We actually have seen the Vikings be on the wrong end of this with like Alshon Jeffrey, who ended up going to the Eagles instead. He turned down a bigger contract that the Vikings had offered him, because he liked Carson Wentz better than Sam Bradford at the time, and he wanted to play with a better quarterback, and that was worth the difference between the Eagles' offer and the Vikings' offer. And there's also, like, longevity things, right? Because you're offering multi-year contracts. The Eagles offered Alshon Jeffrey a one-year deal, and that one-year deal was kind of came with the promise of, and if you play really well, we'll extend you and we'll really pay you. And the Vikings wanted to say, we'll pay you reasonably, because you're kind of coming off a down year where I think he was hurt coming off an injury too. And we said, we'll pay you what you're worth right now. We'll do that for two years. And Alshon Jeffrey said, I think I'm better than that contract, even though that's the, the quality I'm coming off of from the 2016 season. I think I'm better than that. And I'm going to prove it in Philadelphia. And then they're going to pay me more than I would be making if I went with you guys. And he did that. He proved himself. He got a huge extension. And now he's making a ton of money for the Philadelphia Eagles. That kind of thing happens all the time, and it makes it so that it kind of complicates the, the nice, easy, clean, you know, pay the most, get the guy. It's complicated by other factors, and that kind of thing can really help us inform decisions like the Alshon Jeffrey thing. Wait, why did he take less money to play with Philadelphia? Or Kirk Cousins, wait, why did he take less money to play here? You, we can kind of look for those factors and kind of figure out a little bit about like where players see teams at those times. So honestly, I could talk for like another half hour about this, but I do have to wrap it up because I'm running out of time for this show. So that is going to do it for this episode of Locked On Vikings. I hope you guys liked it. I know it gets a little weird and a little deep into the weeds. I'll link that paper in the show notes and all the other stuff that you guys need to see for this episode. Go vote in the pain bracket. Go tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings, and I will see you all tomorrow. I've got a really fun week uh, lined up for you, so I'm really excited about that. And skull. Hey, sports fans. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves, the Minnesota Timberwolves podcast on the Locked On NBA Network. The Wolves might be in the middle of what's turned out to be a pretty miserable season, but there's still plenty to talk about. From the aftermath of the trade deadline to looking ahead at what moves Gerson Rosas and the front office might be planning for the summer, to the possibility that all-star snub Carl Anthony Towns could go off on any given night, it's still going to be a fun spring. Tune into Locked On Wolves daily, Monday through Friday. I'm Ben Beacon with Locked On Wolves, and we'll catch you next time.